Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> it's a beautiful day out there today. Isn't it? It's unlike the last couple of weeks. We've had some storms roll through. Some of them are kind of hairy. We've had some severe weather. But that's kind of normal for this part of the country. And I think we've all just accepted that's part of living where we live every year about this time. We get storm season. That's the fifth season. Actually, it's like the ninth season. We've got those three winters that we experience every year. But we just get used to it. And sometimes that's problematic because these sirens go off, these warning signs. And we're supposed to go inside and we're supposed to go into our basements and take shelter. But oftentimes, what happens instead? You hear that siren and it's not a warning, it's like a dinner bell, you know, and you run outside. There's this stereotype of Midwestern people that go outside when the sirens go off and they're looking at the sky. And this is, a, this is one of those stereotypes, right? The tornado siren goes off, we get in our loungers, we try to see. I know this guy, like not, not him in particular, but I know people just like this. And I know that some of you are exactly like this because we've talked and I've seen you outside and waved during the storms. There's just something about the sirens. We maybe don't take them as seriously as we should. However, if you've ever lived through a tornado or your community has been hit by one, then you've seen the devastation that they have firsthand, then you tend to treat those things a little more seriously because we take powerful things very seriously in our culture. And that's kind of what we want to talk about this morning as we continue this series, A Year-ish with Jesus. This is a series we started back in November. We're going to be in this series through April of next year. And we're just working through the Gospel of Matthew, just sitting at Jesus' feet, learning from his teachings, from his example. And so far, we've been in this series. We've heard some great things come out of Jesus' mouth. We've seen him do some pretty spectacular things. But sometimes we can get so comfortable with Jesus and so familiar with who he is that a lot of times we wind up like those people who hear the tornado sirens and don't take it seriously. And we just sit and we watch and we admire when in reality we should have a deep reverence and respect for this force of nature. We're talking about taking Jesus seriously today. And to do that, I want to look at Matthew chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 13. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up Matthew chapter 8, verse 13. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can follow along on the screen behind or you can download the FCC Mammoth app to your mobile device, tap the Sunday button in the bottom right-hand corner, and you'll find a, a tool called Sermon Notes. It's got our passage pulled open, ready for you to engage with, along with an outline to follow along this morning. So, taking Jesus seriously. Do we do that? Or do we just sort of watch and admire? This is a, an important question for every follower of Jesus to wrestle with, so much so that Matthew included a little section in Matthew chapter 8 about two individuals who come to Jesus, and they have this desire to follow him. They don't quite seem to understand what that means, though, and, and they illustrate for us something that's still very true today. It's easy to misunderstand exactly what it means to follow Jesus or the serious business of following Jesus. We read about it in Matthew chapter 8, verse 13. Here's the first little scenario. I'm sorry, verse 18, not 13. Verse 18. It says, When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. 
So this is kind of an enigmatic little exchange uh, for some of us. For, I know for many, many years I read this and went, I don't, I don't get exactly what's going on here. There's two little clues in the words that kind of give us some insight uh, into the dynamics at play, kind of help us understand the conversation a little bit. The first is the fact that this guy is called a teacher of the law. And in the book of Matthew, he would have been associated with the group of people that oftentimes did not understand Jesus and later on in the Gospels were even working against him. Uh, oftentimes, teachers of the law are in the same group as like scribes and Pharisees and so on. So there's one clue that he doesn't fully understand who Jesus is and, and what he's asking for here. The second clue is what he calls Jesus. He calls him teacher. If we were to look at the original languages in the Greek, the word is didaskalos, and that by itself is not a, a didaskalae here, but it's not by itself a problematic word, it just means teacher. But the way that Matthew uses it throughout his entire gospel, those that call Jesus teacher oftentimes are those who really, again, don't fully understand what he's asking of us, or they have uh, um, an insufficient faith in some ways. And so these two little clues together, they cue us into the fact that this guy, he might have some desire, but he doesn't fully understand what he's asking when he says, I want to follow you, or what he's saying, rather, when he says, I want to follow you. And Jesus clues us in as to what might be missing in his faith here. He says, buddy, let me tell you, foxes and birds, they've got houses, but I don't. And it's true, Jesus didn't have a house. His ministry lasted for three years, and for the entirety of that, he, he wandered and he stayed at the homes of friends or relatives. Sometimes when he was in his hometown, he would stay at his mother's house. He didn't have a job, and so supplying his needs, he was fully at the mercy of those that supported his ministry, or again, friends, relatives, and so on. Jesus' relationship with material things was tenuous at best. And he seems to be saying to this teacher of the law, who likely had a very comfortable living given his station in society, you're not going to have a whole lot to gain from this materially. Do you understand that? And there's a suspicious lack of any sort of response, which leads us to believe that this guy likely did not accept Jesus' call to follow. That's the first instance. The second incident takes place just right after this. Matthew groups them together for us. This is verse 21. It says, Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, it seems to be that maybe Jesus extended an invitation, come follow me. And the guy says, I would love to follow you, but first, I just have some things I need to take care of. I need to go take care of my father's burial, which seems like a very reasonable request, right? But we need to remember there's a little more at play here than just a funeral. Typically, in, at this time period, Jewish culture, there would be the funeral, and then the, that might last a week, and then there would be a, an expected period of mourning that would last for up to a month, sometimes a little after that. And there's no indication that this man's father is actually dead yet, and so they may be waiting for him to pass. Maybe he's close. So he seems to be saying, Jesus, I'd love to follow you, but I need like a month or two before I really head out and follow you. And Jesus' response may seem a little callous, let the dead bury their own dead. But what he's really trying to impress upon this man is the urgency of this invitation. Come and follow me now. I mean, Jesus may not even be here in a month. He may not be here in a week. This is kind of a now or never decision that this man needs to make. Will you follow me or won't you? And what we seem to be seeing in this story is that even reasonable things of this world, reasonable expectations, agendas, and so on, 
really still need to come second to Jesus and his call to follow. It's pretty serious business when he says to us, come and follow me, learn from me, be my disciples. And again, there's a suspicious absence of any sort of reply from this man, so we are led to believe he, he too neglected the call. Just two short little incidents, but both of them together, they illustrate how easy it is to sort of misunderstand or maybe misprioritize what it means to follow Jesus. There are things of this world that clamor for our attention, reasonable things. Jesus, I need a house to stay in. I need a car to get to work. I need stuff to fill that house. I need to build a retirement plan and some savings in case things go awry. Like these are reasonable things, Jesus, and that takes some time and some focus. Or I need to, to build a relationship and invest in my marriage and raise my kids and I need to establish my career and all of these things. They take a lot of time, Jesus. And none of these are unreasonable. And yet when we look at these two little incidents, we also get the feeling that Jesus isn't content to take second place to any of them. He makes some pretty extreme demands to come and to follow and sometimes it's easy to look at the things of this world and the things of this life, even reasonable things, and assume Jesus is okay if we prioritize them over obedience and following. There's a kid from a, uh, one of my previous youth groups. His name is Dawson Taylor. Great kid. Six foot four. Got legs like tree trunks. He was built to pitch a baseball. Like he's just built that way. And he grew up in Edwardsville, Illinois, which is just a little ways from St. Louis, where one of the best pitching coaches in the nation happens to have a school to teach people how to pitch a baseball. And Dawson, from the time he was in junior high, he wanted to be a professional baseball player. So he's been taking classes with this guy in the offseason, doing training. He played every season. Like, he wanted to pursue this dream. And he worked really hard. But despite that dream and despite that pursuit and that effort, Dawson was still at church every Sunday, and he was a youth group every Sunday night, even if he was late because they had a tournament or whatever, because his dad made him show up. You see, Dawson's dad understood a really important thing. This dream of going pro, that's great, that's wonderful, and it's going to take work. But it's temporary. Even if this is my son's career, it's temporary. But Jesus is forever. And there's a priority that needs to take place here. And so Dawson's relationship with the things of this world, it was tenuous at best. And at times there were sacrifices he had to make of baseball and of schedules. And sometimes he had to prioritize church over his team because his dad wanted to impress this lesson upon him. We don't put Jesus second. Now, it didn't hurt that his dad was also the pastor of the church. But it's an important lesson nonetheless. And it illustrates the kind of priority that we need in our lives. There's something I've seen over the last 15 years working in the church is that this priority oftentimes isn't established or maybe it's reversed, we should say. And things, temporary things, reasonable things, but temporary things like sports schedules or vacation plans or something oftentimes take precedent over the eternally significant lesson that Jesus does not settle for second place. And we teach our kids this and our grandkids this. But it's not just that. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. We do this in dozens of ways. Sometimes we buy a house bigger than what we need so that we can fill it up with stuff we don't really need. And sometimes we even go into debt to buy all that stuff that we don't need so that our short time on this earth is maybe just a little bit more enjoyable. 
And again, there's nothing wrong with buying stuff and buying a house and all that, but we do this oftentimes forgetting that there's a call to build a different kingdom. Not our own little slice of heaven on earth, but to build the kingdom of heaven on earth and to invest in the ministry of the gospel and support our brothers and sisters overseas and to support our local community and help those in need with charity and with goodwill and with service. And sometimes the things of this world are so appealing that we put Jesus in second place. Or maybe it's a matter of obedience. You know, we, we love the teachings of Jesus. We love when he talks about forgiveness. We love when he talks about God's grace. When we preach about God's grace and the forgiveness of sins, that's when I get the most people saying, that just touched my heart so much. We love it. Except when Jesus says, you need to go do this too. And this call to forgive other people and to extend grace to those around us, that's when we start to say, you know what, I'm not really sure that's as applicable to me as the one might think, or it's more complicated than that, or it's nuanced. And we can easily wind up putting the things of this world, even our disappointments and our hurts, above the call of Jesus to come and to follow me. When we see in these stories very clearly, he's not content with second place. Sometimes it's very easy to misunderstand the serious business of following Jesus. So why do we do this? Why has this come so naturally to us, or is it easy to fall into? I don't think it's because of a lack of faith on anybody's part or a lack of affections for Christ. I think what oftentimes happens is, as we said earlier, sometimes we get a little too comfortable and a little too familiar with Jesus. And we forget exactly who it is we're dealing with. And Matthew does us a tremendous favor. He gives us three examples, or three illustrations rather, right after these little incidents that remind us of exactly who it is we're dealing with. First one comes in a boat. It's Jesus and his friends. They're sailing across the Sea of Galilee, and the storm comes upon them. And the wind and the waves are throwing the ship all over the place. Jesus is asleep because he's really tired. He's been preaching for like 48 straight hours. But everybody else is panicking, and they're screaming, we're all going to die. And so somebody goes and wakes Jesus up and says, don't you care? Which is a really stupid question. And then he says in verse 26, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up. And he rebuked the wind and the waves. If we were to read Mark's telling of this story, it says, peace, be still, which is Greek for shut up. And the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed, and they asked, what kind of a man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, up to this point, only God has been able to command the wind and the waves. And there's a little clue in there as to who Jesus really is. But to borrow that question that the men asked, what kind of a man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Well, he seems to be somebody that creation itself takes very seriously. And that theme continues into the next little story as well. Jesus gets off the boat with his friends. They're walking. These two demon-possessed men run up to them. These men have become so violent that the people of the town cast them out. And they were violent. And they were even hurting themselves but when they lay eyes on Jesus, they come, they fall at his feet, and they beg him, don't throw us into hell, throw us into these pigs over there. And so he said to them, this is verse 32, go. So they came out and they went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. And those tending the pigs ran off, and they went into the town and reported all of this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. 
So Jesus, he throws these demons into the pigs. The pigs run off. They're terrified. This is a man whom even the spiritual world takes incredibly seriously. One word, go, and it listens. And I don't know if you caught the end of the story. The people of the town seem to take Jesus very seriously as well. You think maybe they would be thankful that these men had been healed, or they'd been impressed, or they'd invite Jesus to hang around for dinner or something. But no, they're scared out of their minds. They say, please leave. They're terrified. And that's probably not a bad response, honestly. Because if you and I had witnessed something like that, we'd probably get in our car and drive away as quickly as we could, right? This is kind of a frightening scene. And that theme, it continues into the next story as well. This is verse, or chapter 9, verse 6. It says, So he said to the paralyzed man, there were a group of friends, they brought their paralyzed friend in. He said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and go home. And then the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given men such authority. This is somebody whom disease and whom the body listens to and responds to with absolute obedience. It takes him very seriously. Whether it be creation, the spiritual world, our flesh and blood, all of reality seems to recognize who Jesus is and seems to answer at his beck and call. They take him very seriously. If you and I met somebody like this today, there is no chance we would brush him off. There's no chance that we would say, I'd love to follow you, just give me a second. I gotta take care of a few things for a month or two. I mean, if you walked outside and your neighbor was like there's storms raging, tornadoes touching down, and your neighbor says, shut up, and the tornado goes back into the sky, I'm all ears, man. Like, what do you got to say? Or if we were at the hospital, the doctor's visiting the person in the room next to us. They're paralyzed from the neck down. He says, ah, you're fine. Go home. And they get up and walk home. Well, what, I'm, I'm really interested. What have you got to say about life? How did you do? We're, we would never brush somebody like this aside. Somebody with this kind of power. And yet, here's the rub, church. This is the Jesus that we worship today. It's not like he's different or that he's changed. The one who calmed the storm, the one that cast out demons, the one that heals the body, the one whom all reality takes incredibly seriously, that's still the Jesus we worship. But sometimes we lose sight of that because the things of this world can cloud our vision and our priority. I really questioned, I got done with this sermon this week and I said, I don't really know who this is for. It's a decent message. And I kid you not, this week I had two separate conversations with two different individuals all about, you know, what is my next life? I feel out of touch with God. What am I supposed to do? Come to find out, they came to their own conclusions. They were just prioritizing the things of this world over obedience to Jesus. Job stress was getting to me. I'm worrying too much about my job and what they think of me there instead of following Christ and what he thinks of me. I'm worried too much about paying rent and getting all this new stuff instead of just trying to build a life with Christ. This is something we wrestle with almost daily. Do we take Jesus as seriously as the rest of reality? This is not somebody to just sort of cuddle up with or, or treat as kind of a guru that has good tips for better relationships and a happier life. This is the king of kings. This is the lion of Judah. He demands to be taken seriously. There's a, a story. It always creeps me out every time I tell it. It's about a lady and her pet python. And she got this snake when it was kind of small. And she raised it and it got pretty big. And she was very attached to this snake. 
so much so that she would even let it sleep in her bed sometimes. And that's not the weird, creepy part. That's just, that's weird. But, but then one day, she noticed the snake started behaving very oddly. It hadn't been eating. It, in fact, for quite some time, hadn't eaten anything. And instead of like coiling up in the bed like it used to, it would just like lay really straight in the bed, just very, you know, linear. It's very weird. And she grew very concerned, and so she took it to the vet. She explained what was going on, and the vet just looked horrified. He said, don't you ever sleep with that snake again. It's not sick. It's starving itself and laying out to measure whether it can fit you inside of it. That's the part that makes my skin crawl a little bit. It's a weird story, but here's the thing. You can't be angry at that snake because it's not a toy. It's not even a domesticated species. It's a wild animal. And when people neglect to take wild animals seriously, that's when trouble arises. That's when we get into trouble. And sometimes we forget Jesus. He's not some domesticated house cat. And we jokingly say, oh yeah, he's the boss. I just live here. Lion of Judah, church. There's this story, it's called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You may have heard of it, by C.S. Lewis. It's an allegory of the Christian faith. And Jesus, he's depicted by this lion named Aslan. And at the end of the story, one of the main characters is watching Aslan walk off into the sunset. And, and she says to Mr. Beaver, I'm glad he's a safe lion. And Mr. Beaver says, oh no, child. He's not safe. But he is good. That's Jesus. He's not safe. In fact, the last picture of Jesus we have in Scripture, it's, it's not the shepherd cuddling the lamb or Jesus on the rock saying, let the children come to me. It's Jesus as a warrior all tatted up on the side of his leg and his robe is dipped in blood and it's not his. He's not safe. But he is good. He's the one who heals, who calls, who sanctifies us, who sacrificed himself to save us and purchase forgiveness of sins. He is very, very good. And he demands to be taken seriously. That's our Jesus. So what does it look like to take someone like that serious in our lives today? Matthew actually gives us a pretty good picture of it from his own life. It's not hard to understand, but it is sometimes difficult to do. Taking Jesus seriously means prioritizing him as number one. Matthew tells his own story of his own calling in verse nine of chapter nine. It says, Jesus went on from there and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and he followed him. It's a very short little story, but honestly, it doesn't need to be complicated. Jesus called, Matthew took him seriously, and he got up. He got up from the tax collector's booth, which means he quit his job. His very lucrative job, by the way, collecting taxes off the backs of the citizens. That's somebody who takes Jesus seriously, who prioritizes that call and that obedience over even something as crucial and reasonable as one's career. And then it says he followed, which means a whole lot more than he just walked behind Jesus. This is reminiscent of the way rabbis would call their students to come and follow. That was an invitation to watch their life, to watch their relationships, to learn from them in every sphere of life, and then to practice it in their own lives. 
That's what it means to follow. Matthew is giving him whole, his whole self over to Jesus at this call because he takes him seriously. And we are called to do something very similar, to prioritize Jesus even above the reasonable things of this world. And there's everyday examples of what that looks like that are inspiring that we can look to and learn from. In Flint, Michigan, whenever they found out that their water supply was poisoned, there was a church of about 150 people They got together and they decided they wanted to do more than just pray for their community. They wanted to actually follow Jesus and serve the way that he served. And it was very costly financially. And it was very costly as far as their time and their energy went. But they became an emergency water supply center where they would purchase bottles of drinking water, bring it in, and people could come in throughout the week and pick up water. It didn't take very long for them to distribute over 200,000 individual bottles of water. And they didn't have any grants or financial backing, by the way. And there would be people that would come in every morning, keep people like Jarvis Beaker or James Greer, two congregants of this church, and they would come in and they would work for several hours stacking and organizing and distributing, and then when they were done there, they'd go start their shift at the GM assembly plant. And they put in 12, 14 hours just between those two places every day. And it was tiring and it was exhausting. But in an interview, James Beaker, he said, I just want to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. This is somebody that understood following Jesus means more than just showing up on Sunday. It is a lifestyle. It is prioritizing him above so many reasonable, understandable, worldly things because he doesn't settle for second place. Following Jesus like this, it looks like a lady named Sheila Dougal, who in her own life experienced a great disappointment. She was two weeks away from delivering their second child when her husband wrote her letter that basically said, I don't want to be married to you anymore. And her whole world was just turned upside down. And there were sleepless nights, and there were questions of what am I going to do? How am I going to take care of two kids? What am I going to do with a newborn? How am I going to work? You know, you can imagine just the turmoil that her life was in. And then she kept reading the words of Jesus and all these conversations about forgiveness and how do you measure it out to others so it will be measured unto you. And she's like, what am I supposed to do with this? How can I forgive this man? And then she thought about what her own forgiveness cost and how he laid down his life and how he sacrificed in order to make her whole. And she thought about the disciples and that last supper when Jesus washed everybody's feet, including Judas, and what it must have meant to forgive him even in that moment and and the sacrifice of Jesus' own will. And she just thought about all this stuff and eventually she said, you know what, if I am going to follow Jesus, this is something I can't hand wave away. And she took him seriously and she forgave. Now, it wasn't easy. In fact, she wrote about it in her blog She said, oftentimes bitterness stood at the door ready to take me in her arms, poison me and anyone it rubbed against. Vengeance visited my thoughts daily, enticing me to use the power I had to make my husband pay. And fear tried to deceive me into enabling my husband by making excuses for him and blaming myself. It was a journey, a journey and a process, but at the end of the day, she decided to follow Jesus and to take his word seriously. And today, praise God, she and her husband have been able to reconcile. That would not have been possible if that journey didn't begin with forgiveness. See, prioritizing Jesus means we're going to have a different kind of relationship with the world around us. Maybe it's with our stuff. Maybe it's with our priorities and our time and our schedules. Maybe it's with our own will at times. 
But as we've seen in the stories, he doesn't settle for second place. If all of reality recognizes who he is and takes him seriously, how much more should his own people? So here's the question I want us to wrestle with today. Is there an area of my life in which Jesus has had to settle for second place? The answer is inevitably going to be yes. Because we're on this journey, pursuing him, following after him. We're growing. It's a process. But I want to encourage us this week to wrestle with that question. And when we can identify one of those areas, let's take a step to change that. Maybe it's how I, I prioritize my time and my schedule. Maybe I've compromised too much. I've not prioritized corporate worship. Maybe I've not prioritized my own individual quiet time, my Bible reading time. Maybe prayer is taking a back seat. Whatever that might look like in your life, take a step this week to change that and prioritize him in your schedule. Or maybe it's a matter of obedience and following his commands. Maybe when we talk about forgiveness, it's a hard thing to do, but that resonates with you. Maybe there's someone in your life, a relationship that is in need of mending and that is in need of grace. I would encourage you to contemplate and pray, how can I actively start to work on mending and reconciling this relationship? Or maybe it's a matter of our stuff. Maybe we talk about building our own little slice of heaven instead of the kingdom of God. Maybe that convicts us a little bit. I would encourage you to think, how can I use my time, my talents, and my resources to better build his kingdom? We just had a community-wide garage sale. Anybody get rid of a bunch of junk from their house? Nobody. So we're all just neat freaks. We've all done that. Nobody's a hoarder, right? Maybe you had a garage sale. You raised some money. Maybe you used that to feed some orphans in Mexico City with Ninos de Mexico, this great organization that's having a $12,000 shortfall, not because of mismanagement, but because of conversion rates and inflation and factors outside of their hands. Maybe you use your resources to serve in that way. I don't know what it is. But I'd encourage you to prayerfully consider what it means to take Jesus seriously and to follow him, truly follow him, as the number one priority in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for, we thank you for examples like this in Scripture, these men who came to you and who had desire but maybe misunderstood exactly what you asked. I pray that it's become a little more clear to us today and that we would begin the process of handing over to you every aspect of our lives because you laid down every part of yourself for us and you bore our sins on a cross that we might be saved and you bore our burdens and our iniquities that we might be healed and you've secured for us a blessing and a future and eternity. And that's not just a hopeful thought or, or wishful thinking, that's reality, that's serious business. And so we pray that we would take you and your gospel just as seriously today and live in light of that goodness and that hope that we have. It's in the name of Christ we pray, amen.